0: You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. There are two types of justice work. One seeks to give people equal access to a competitive system where there's still there's still going to be winners and losers, and and the other is that which seeks to include everyone. It has a, a radical vision for society of no more winners, no more losers, and, and cooperation is valued over competition. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. This is episode 231. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a, a first-century Jewish prophet of the poor might offer us in our work today of survival, liberation, resistance, uh, restoration, reparation, and and transformation. Our text this week is the lost sheep, taken from Q scholarship. Our our uh, 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 d- uh, featured text is going to be uh, Saint's Gospel Q 15, four through five and verse seven. Which person is there among you who has a hundred sheep on losing one of them will not leave the ninety nine in the mountains and go and hunt for the lost one? And if it should happen that he finds it, I say to you that he rejoices over it more than the over the 99 that did not go astray. Our companion texts are in the canonical gospels, Matthew 18, 12 through 13 what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety and nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the ninety and nine that did not wander off. And Luke 15, four through seven, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need uh, to repent. And uh, part of our featured text is also the Gospel of Thomas. This week, we find this saying there also, Jesus says, "The uh, The kingdom is like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and one of them went astray the largest and he left the 99 and he sought the one until he found it after he had toiled he said to the sheep I love you more than the 99 now in Matthew and Luke's Gospels um, this saying is used in different context and, and and it's for two different narrative purposes and we're we're going to be looking at both so let's talk about Matthews first and Matthew uses it in the context of the vulnerable in Matthew the saying is about 99 abandoned but safe sheep and it focuses on the vulnerability of the one lost sheep. Matthew prepares the reader um, by Jesus saying, first, see that you do not despise one of these little ones in verse 10 right before it. And the context is Jesus is teaching about children. And in Jesus's ancient Mediterranean world, children are at the bottom of the social and economic scale when it came to status and rights. And Thomas Carney in his book, The the Shape of the past models of antiquity. This is on page 92. He explains age division and commensurate power and responsibility were hierarchical, sharply demarcated and significant authority ran vertically downward age and tradition were revered and powerful. Early training was harshly disciplined and it was not until early adulthood that the young person began receiving serious consideration as a member of the family. Here in Greenbrier County, West Virginia, where I live, I sit on the board of our, our our Child and Youth Advocacy Center, the CYAC. And and this CYAC, it brings what it does is it brings justice and hope and healing to children here in Greenbrier County and and nearby Monroe and Pocahontas counties. But the CYC is a it's a nationally accredited child advocacy center that compassionately and effectively. Um, puts first the needs of the children who are victims of abuse. And in a society where those with access to resources, uh, just by definition, they have greater power and social control, children have access to neither power nor resources. And in Western society especially, children have no independent access to the, the typical avenues to power and self-determination like education, income, or work. They have no access to those without being dependent on someone else for them, and the, the, which leaves them being the most vulnerable, uh, especially to abuse and and neglect. So, so child advocacy and, and children's rights are deeply needed in, in Western society. And whatever uh, discrimination that we speak of, Uh, typically on this podcast, on on the basis of race or gender or sexual orientation or gender identity or national origin or religion or disability or color or ethnicity, we have to remember that all of these discriminations are significantly compounded when they apply to children who depend on others, both for their survival and for their thriving. And Matthew points to the singular lamb that receives the shepherd's preferential option for the most vulnerable in his flock. It's it's the little ones that, that Jesus is teaching about in this saying. Gustavo Gutierrez, he often states that Jesus' preferential option for the vulnerable or the poor, um, specifically the vulnerable, is 90% of liberation theologies. And, it, and it's this preferential option that we come face to face with in this week's saying. What does Jesus what what does his preferential option mean? Well, let's start with this. The world of society's most vulnerable is a world of both poverty and death. And poverty in most societies, it means death before one's time. Societal vulnerability comes in in multiple forms and has has different causes, but it's characterized by by certain ones in a community being considered less than or other or insignificant or less human. They become dehumanized and often objectified. And vulnerability can be it can be simply economic, or again it can it can involve. Um, gender or race or gender identity or sexual orientation. And and because it is complex, vulnerability demands more than individual acts of charity. It requires the work of justice. And as as I'm fond of saying, the prophets, the Hebrew prophets did not call for charity. They called for justice. And our tools uh, have to help us uh, to identify and then also actively resist the, the unjust structures in our society that cause societal vulnerability, that produce vulnerability. So when liberation theologians speak of a preferential option for the vulnerable, um, first of all, they don't mean that it's optional. Option in this sense means a, a commitment. It means to opt for this rather than that. Um, and, and this week's saying we see a teaching that calls us to choose the side of the vulnerable people in society. This is a shepherd that abandoned the ninety-nine for the 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 one who is vulnerable and making certain ones vulnerable to benefit others at their expense, um, it, it, it wounds the entire society. It's bad for the – the system of creating vulnerability is bad for society as a whole. Their vulnerability, um, I believe, can only be healed by us choosing uh, solidarity alongside the vulnerable. We have to step into solidarity with the vulnerable and work towards a change. And that's where the preferential part comes in. By preferential, we we mean – um those who whom we should should uh uh those whom should have our first solidarity our solidarity first place um again it's it's abandoning the 99 and standing in solidarity with the vulnerable one the preferential option means su- subscribing uh, to Jesus's vision for society where the last become first and the first become last. Jesus's followers are to stand in, in preferential solidarity with the poor, with the hungry, and with those that weep. And the, these are the ones listed in, in Luke 6, 20 through 21. And this week's saying in, in Matthew, it calls us each to stand in solidarity with the ones who are, who've are who become vulnerable in our society, the one, rather than the 99 that are safe, um, rather than the remaining safe even in our own social status among the 99 who 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 aren't threatened. And and let's talk about Luke next. Luke's uh, Luke uses the term sinners. And and Luke's use of of this saying is similar to Matthew's but it is a little different as well. He uses the saying to explain why Jesus is standing in solidarity with people uh, whom some of the more popular religious leading voices of his day um, said are unclean or, or are sinners or should be marginalized. In Luke 15:1 through2, it says, "Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, "This man welcomes sinners." And eats with them. So, the use of the label sinners in the Gospels it's specific, it's not universal. Um, Christians today, especially evangelical Christians, they see the label of sinner as applying to everyone. Everybody's a sinner. But in the Jesus stories, um, there's a cultural context for the label sinner, it, it was used to refer to Jewish people who were not living up to contemporary interpretations and definitions of of Torah observance. And we're going to discuss this at length next week because it's it's relevant to next week's saying as well. But in Luke, these sinners, they're the ones that are responding positively to Jesus' economic teachings, while the wealthy progressive Pharisees... They they aren't. In Luke 5, 27 through 28, we see another example. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector who would have been labeled a sinner in that culture, a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. In Luke 19, 1 through 9, we find the story of, of a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig uh, tree to, seize it, to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. i I'm must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, look, Lord, Uh, Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation to this house has come, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Now, let's contrast these passages with this one in Luke. In Luke 16, it categorizes the Pharisees. It says the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and we're sneering at Jesus. Ched Myers does an excellent job at, at distilling for us the social and political positions of the Pharisees in, in these Gospels. And that the scholarly evidence for, for what I'm about to share can be found in his book, Binding the Strong Man, a political reading of Mark's story, uh, a story of Jesus, on uh, pages 75 through 78 and, and page 431. But but what I, I had missed And in my modern reading, and I think the same is probably true of you too, one of the tensions between the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the Jesus story was political power from their interpretations of the purity codes. And we're going to unpack this in much more detail because it's really fascinating. Um, We're going to uh, unpack this next week too. Um, But the Sadducees, they kept a tight rein on political power by maintaining a more conservative interpretation of purity, and that kept them firmly centered as as the social elites and the sole community decision-makers. And by contrast, the Pharisees, they were seeking to gain political power, to take some of that power away from the Sadducees, and they were opening up the definitions of purity to to more people. More people could could adhere to the purity standards, but they were still leaving themselves. The Pharisees were leaving themselves in in, in a position of control. to to still determine who was clean and who was unclean. And the Pharisees' interpretation of purity, according to the Torah, it was much more progressive. It was much more liberal. And and, and therefore, it gave access to more people um, than the Sadducees' interpretation did. It opened up what the definition of purity really meant. But it still left the Pharisees holding all the reins. And it was therefore... It was more popular with the masses, um, the, the more popular than the Sadducees interpretation, but it, it, it was it, what gave the Pharisees also their social power and their social location. But where the, the Sadducees appealed to the, the upper class elites and those who could afford to adhere to a, a more strict Uh, uh, definition of purity, the Pharisees appealed to those who we would call today uh, the middle class. Their their interpretation of Torah was more progressive, more liberal. It included those who were of lesser financial means. But the poor, the poor masses, they were still unclean and therefore excluded from both the Sadducees' interpretations and the Pharisees. And Jesus emerged within Galilee as a prophet of the poor. The Gospels are an effort to convince their readers that that the Pharisees, And this is from Ched Myers as well that the Pharisaic social strategy. Um, that practice, that it's not the populist alternative that it seems, but merely a cosmetic alternative to the oppressive clerical hierarchy. And Jesus does this repeatedly in the stories by by raising a deeper issue concerning the place of the poor in the Pharisaical social order. In other words, yes, the Pharisees are opening up, uh, including more than the Sadducees do, but you're still excluding this group. What does your interpretation have to say to the poor? And this brings to my mind the reality that I've witnessed with, with more progressive strands of even modern Christianity. A, a, a Christian group or a, a Christian ministry, it can be very progressive compared to others, but it can still be racist. It can still be sexist. It can still be heterosexist. It can still be classist. It can still be capitalist. And, and the label of liberal, it's not synonymous with liberation. And progressive doesn't necessarily mean radical. Jesus wasn't a liberal. He, he taught what could be termed radical liberation. And, and, and again, if you think of it between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, Jesus was m- so much more progressive than the Pharisees that he did away with the entire marginalization or exploitation system itself, the discrimination system itself. But uh, uh, he, Jesus wasn't offering people greater access or opportunity in the current domination or, or competition system. He instead, he offered an entirely new way for people to relate to each other as humans in community. And because he he repudiated the the then present system and had an, an alternative vision for human community, Jesus rejoiced in centering long-neglected voices, rather than, than those who, who, through their religious ritual perfection and purity, um, he didn't rejoice over those who, who located themselves at the center or, or the top of, of community power structures. And, and, and this has implications for our justice work today as well. This is where we talk about the intersection of, of G, the Jesus story with our justice work today. There are two types of justice work. One seeks to give people equal access to a competitive system. Where there's still there's still going to be winners and losers uh, uh, regardless of race, gender, orientation, or other traits. And and the other type of social justice work is that which seeks to include everyone. It has a, a radical vision for society of no more winners, no more losers, and and cooperation is valued over competition. And in the second vision, people aren't simply given the education and the tools required for them to to play the game of equal ability. Uh, with equal ability even. But rather, uh, the, the, we're calling into question whether the game itself is is good for humans to play at all. And, and where Matthew focuses on solidarity with the vulnerable, Luke focuses on clu- including those who have been marginalized as unclean outsiders and announcing their inclusion in this shared table that Jesus is promoting. So both Matthew and Luke I think give us much to, to think about in in our our social justice work today. Again, saying's Gospel Q 15, 4-5, and 7. Which person is there among you who has a hundred sheep and losing one of them will not leave the ninety-nine in the mountains and go hunt for the lost one? And if it should happen that he finds it, I say to you that he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. So whether we're standing in solidarity, having a preferential option for the vulnerable, or whether we're uh, going even further and dismantling, uh, using that solidarity to dismantle the present system and to create a world where there are no more winners or losers. There are no more vulnerable. Um, uh, this saying has a lot to teach us this week. So Heart Group Application, this past week, Keisha McKenzie, uh, many of you know her through through my reference to her in this podcast. She's a friend of mine. She uh, uh, she curates the, the website, And um, uh, She she directed my attention to an article by Shaniqua Walker-Barnes Bar- Walker uh, this last week entitled Why I Gave Up Church. And in this article, Walker-Barnes Bar- asks the question, what does Christianity have to offer for for those of us who live with our backs constantly against the walls of white supremacist, heterosexist, patriarchal, ableist capitalism. And this week, it's a a question that she based off of the work of Howard Thurman, which we've talked about in this podcast before. It's part of uh, last year's uh, annual reading course that we did. It was one of our books of the month. It might have been the very first book of last year. But uh, this week, what I want you to do is actually, I want to put a link to uh, Walker Barnes' article in, in this week's eSight, I want you as a group together to go read the article. Maybe go around the room and those who feel comfortable reading out loud, just take it one paragraph at a time or however you feel comfortable doing it, just read it together as a group. And then number two, once you've finished, take some time to discuss the article together. How, how did Walker Barnes affirm what you're already feeling? How did she challenge you Um, And which of her points, if any, did you agree with? And then I want you to explain your answers to the group, why you agree with them. And then lastly this week, uh, please remember that 80% of Puerto Rico is still without drinking water and still without electricity. As Rosa Clement stated uh, two weeks ago uh, no, actually last week. It was just last week. Um, she stated that this is still a, a colonial problem that began 119 years ago. So as a heart group, I, I'd like you this week to also come up with a way to to help Puerto Rico. One heart group shared with me that that one of their group members had convinced their workplace to have a, a casual Friday where a donation of $10 or more to Puerto Rico allowed employees uh, to come to, to, to work in, in casual clothing. And all the income was then donated. And, and And if you need to know exactly how to help and how to do something concrete that'll help, um, there's many suggestions out there right now. One example is, um, and I'll put a link to it, it uh, it's entitled Puerto Rico Still Needs Our Help. And in this link, you'll find a list of things you can do as a group to help. And 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 uh, it, it'll give you what you can do. The the point is to come up with something that your group can do and then to take action. Um, thank you for checking in with us again this week. As as we often say here, keep living in love. Uh, keep engaging the work of survival, of resistance, of, of liberation, of restoration and transformation. And for those of you who are supporting our work here at Renewed Heart Ministries, this week I just can't thank you enough. Um, two weekends ago, uh, this uh, it proved to me once again just how vital and much needed our work here at at RHM is, and and we could not exist without you. And and I, and I thank you for your financial partnership with us, and for others of you who are interested in supporting our work as well. You can go to renewedheartministries.com and click on donate, or just go to renewedheartministries.com forward slash donate. And there you can become either one of our monthly contributors, or you can make a one-time donation. And either way, every amount helps. And together, I believe we are making a difference. We're carrying on the work that's found in Luke 18 through 19, one engagement at a time. And uh, with the hope that, that, that we can transform this world into a safe, just, compassionate home uh, for everyone. Remember, I love each one of you dearly. Thanks again so much for checking in with us. I'll see you next week.